This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. It has been a rough last couple of weeks for the tech sector, led by the problems of Facebook and the breach that it suffered through. That news starts the calls once again that maybe there is more regulation needed for social media companies. But you also had issues with Tesla not meeting production targets. President Trump, as we mentioned, going after Amazon. You also have the fact that music streaming service Spotify just listed itself in an IPO for the first time. Shares on the opening trading day did well, but looking inside the company, could there be some concerns about Spotify paying royalties to artists in the proper manner? All of this has many analysts worried that a correction for tech stocks may be either here or coming very soon. To discuss that even further, we are joined on the phone by David Wessels, adjunct professor of finance here at the Wharton School. He's also a director of executive education. He joins us by phone from San Francisco. And also joining us on the phone, Jay Ritter, eminent scholar in finance at the University of Florida and a former assistant professor of finance here at the Wharton School. Gentlemen, great to have you with us. Thank you very much again for joining us. Glad to be here. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, David, start with you. Uh, This IPO with Spotify coming out, what's your reaction to how it played out? Because the, the, the interesting story from reading up on this is how they went about actually bringing this forward. Yeah, we, we don't see this too often. Um, typically, the IPO is done differently than this. It's done through an investment bank in what's called the book building process, in which the investment bank goes out there and tests interest in the marketplace uh, and then it develops a price based on that marketplace. And just like hiring a real estate agent, it can be very expensive. Often you're, you're paying you know, fees upwards of 7% you know, of what you're trying to raise. Uh, what, what Spotify did instead is they did a direct listing on the New York Stock Exchange. And what that means is since they didn't have to raise capital, there was a little less risk on them. And so what they were able to do is basically start trading. And the only concern that you really have is you, you just don't know what the opening price is going to be. And so there's going to be a lot of volatility around those first few trades. But basically, rather than having the company raise money, what the company's doing instead is allowing insiders uh, to start the trading process right away with shares they already own. And, and the big reason for this is because Spotify, although their gross margins are relatively low and, and their profitability is an issue, they are cash flow positive. So right. it wasn't as if they were burning through cash and desperately needed the markets to, to fund them. And so they didn't have to go out there and basically sell to all these mutual funds. So you're right. It is a different process. The question is, will this work for other players? Are there, are there enough other, let's say, large companies with well-known names uh, who can go out there and, and follow this similar process? Or is this just going to be one of, you know, a, a one-off like we've seen in the past with a couple different, you know, methodologies for, for getting their shares in the public marketplace? Well, how rare is it in going this manner, the, the way that Spotify did this? David? You know, uh, boy, I, I don't have data on this. Okay. Maybe Jay has data on this, but I would say a handful of opportunities. And typically, it's not going to be the tech sector that does this. Right. Uh, it's going to be you know, it's going to be things where again, you already have a well known company. It's cash flow positive, maybe coming out of bankruptcy or something. So, uh, an exception to the rule. But uh, I'll turn it over to Jay. Maybe Jay has some data on it. Jay, your thoughts on that, and just your reaction to this IPO? Yeah. Uh, it, it, The IPO was very important in several regards, which I'll get to in just a moment. Uh, Direct listings have been uh, very rare in the U.S. and and nothing with a uh, prominent company like Spotify. Uh, In the U.K., uh, they are not uncommon. Uh, They're known as introductions. 
but uh, they're also not very common among prominent companies. Now, uh, with the Spotify offering, uh, David mentioned that uh, investment banker fees uh, were lower than uh, typically is the case. Uh, for instance, Snap uh, had about the same uh, dollar value of, of trading, uh, but Snap paid much higher fees to investment bankers using traditional book building than uh, Spotify did with their direct uh, listing. Uh, but the uh, two comments, uh, first about volatility and uh, th then about why this is a potential big threat to Wall Street. Uh, in terms of volatility, uh, yesterday, the first day of trading, uh, the stock uh, varied between a high of 169 and a low of 148, about a 14% spread from the low to the high price. Uh, and that was about the same percentage spread as when Alibaba went public uh, in terms of the, the low versus high. And when Twitter went public, uh, when LinkedIn went public in 2011, the uh, high price during the day was more than 50% above the low price. Uh, huge intraday volatility. So uh, Spotify, in, in spite of the lack of book building uh, and investment bankers placing shares, uh, it had volatility in terms of establishing a market price on the low side of what is, is typical with uh, prominent tech company IPOs. Um, going back to the issue about uh, threat to Wall Street, yeah. um, with, with uh, the offering, uh, there were uh, lower direct fees uh, paid, just like when Google used an auction to go public in 2004. Uh, they paid relatively low uh, fees to underwriters. But auctions and direct listings are an even bigger threat to the standard way of uh, doing IPOs from uh, an investment banker's point of view, because with auctions and the direct listing, underwriters don't have the ability to allocate shares to their favored customers. Uh, and that's actually the most profitable part of book building for underwriters. Uh, it's not merely that they get income from the direct fees, but they also get indirect income from hedge funds and mutual funds that are willing to overpay on commissions in order to become a favored customer and then be allocated underpriced IPO shares. And uh, that, that extra commission income is actually an even more important source of profits for investment banks than the direct fees that they get. So, Jay, could, could you potentially see whether it be in the next year, two years, five years, whatever it might be, more companies that may be similar in terms of setup, not necessarily exactly what Spotify does, but in terms of their their structure and, and their financial setup, uh, try, if they're thinking about going public, to follow this same type of pattern. I, I think it's uh, very possible. I, I think a lot of the so-called unicorns that are likely to go public in the next uh, year or two, uh, Pinterest, um, uh, possibly Uber, Airbnb, Lyft, uh, various others, 
that have uh, widely known brand names uh, so that they don't have to devote a lot of effort to educating investors about what the company is involved with uh, might uh, find this uh, direct listing approach very attractive uh, in that going public is uh, very costly for companies when you include both money left on the table, the difference between the market price and the offer price, uh, and uh, the direct fees. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call with your comments or questions. We're joined uh, by on the phone by uh, Jay Ritter of the University of Florida, David Wessels of the Wharton School, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. David, he mentioned Snap before, and it's interesting. I saw an article yesterday that mentioned that in terms of the interest about this IPO, about Spotify, that this was really a, a company that was attractive to millennials. Partly, it's that's really not a surprise, but really the most attractive to millennials since Snap went public about a year ago. So we've got two platforms that are really apparently being uh, very attractive to a group of people that have been kind of not really locked in totally about being involved in Wall Street. Yeah, I mean, you 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 have uh, you know a whole set of companies out there that are currently privately held that you know could go public shortly, and with Snap going public and and Spotify going public, maybe those companies you know want to be out there in the marketplace as well. Maybe this will get younger investors involved. You know, when I when I look back at all these IPOs, or especially this this particular one with with Spotify with the direct listing, the one thing that I, I was you know thinking about quite a bit when I was thinking about uh, this discussion this morning is. You know, we've seen a lot of these companies stay private for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is the private markets have themselves become quite liquid. And so, you know, not only can you raise money as a, as a company, you don't need to go to the public markets, but you also have this liquidity as well uh, in these private markets so that if you're an employee, there's ways that you can liquidate your shares. Now, these markets are not very efficient. They're not very transparent. I can see how they'd be scary. Well, you know, what I'd love to get a better feel for, and we'll see this, you know, as, as people start to discuss a little bit about the IPO, uh, now that, you know, folks can start talking about it. You know, what was management team at Spotify thinking, you know, as far as, like, taking this to a public market? Because now they have the scrutiny of the public markets, right? right. They have to report to the public markets. They have the whims of, of the share price going up and down. And, uh, and they already had that liquidity in the private markets for their employees and, and for raising capital if they needed it. And so it's an interesting idea that, you know, that they're out there and now that they're going to be in the, in the public eye. And, you know, you're only as good as your last quarter. And, and so, you know, all of a sudden, you know, does Spotify not have the momentum if they have one down quarter where their share price loses 5 or 10% and are people questioning the viability of the company going forward? So this idea that, that they've gone public is actually extremely interesting because they didn't need the cash. They had access to private markets. And, yeah, it gives them access to millennials, and, and maybe that's you know maybe that's what this is about. Uh, back in the 1990s, uh, I did this professionally, and one of the things that we thought a lot about uh, in going public uh, was building credibility, not just with investors, but building credibility with our potential customers. And so maybe Spotify is looking and saying, look, we can get uh, additional credibility. We can be, you know be on the front page of the newspaper every day. Millennials will read us, read about, read about us on the internet, and maybe that will help them feel more comfortable and, and excited to be part of the consumer experience of Spotify, uh, not just the investing experience of Spotify. And so there might be something to that, uh, that, that, I, that idea that, that's, that Spotify and Snap want to you know, 
keep their millennials excited and engaged about the product. And one way of doing that is is to be on the front page of the of the newspaper with you know great performance in the stock market. But it is interesting, David, in the fact that you're talking about a company that talks about having I, I guess what like eighty some odd million users, uh, and you're you're talking about a sector right now. I mean, obviously Apple is a growing player. They're a pretty solid player in this uh, and seemingly want to be a bigger player in this. Uh, It's going to be a challenge for Spotify to be able to keep, I think, um, the at least right now, the number one position that they hold in in this spot. This is going to be a very volatile stock, right? And And the reason for that is because you have major players battling over the future of the industry. So not only do you have competitors like Apple and Google and Amazon, each who have talked about or, or playing in this space that could, you know, all of a sudden put billions of dollars into funding and capturing share, but you also have suppliers too, right? You've got these enormous companies of Sony and Universal that have played nicely with Spotify. Yeah. What if they change their mind? What if they want to sign an exclusive contract with Apple and will no longer allow their music to be played on Spotify? unless Spotify pays certain kinds of fees. And so this is less about, like, you know, is Spotify going to grow another million users here or there? I think that if you had that case, then the company would be relatively easy to value. But if you've got these major binary decisions of will Sony play nice or won't they? Will Apple throw another billion dollars or won't they? Then you're going to see a tremendous amount of volatility in the shares. And I think that's going to make it exciting for investors. Because believe it or not, investors, they, a lot of investors do like volatility. The traders like volatility. Because that's where they make money. And so there'll be a lot of trading volume in this stock every time there's a news announcement about any one of these five companies, you know, making some kind of major move uh, into the industry. Jay, also, and and we laid out, obviously, a a variety of different companies and entities are involved in this. One we didn't mention, which is interesting, are the artists themselves and how vocal they have become in terms of, you know, the royalties and the the music industry themselves. Obviously, Taylor Swift is very vocal about this. Uh, Garth Brooks, a variety of different music artists are very much into this, and they're even starting to put together, Jay-Z, putting together a variety of their own music services to compete with some of these. Yeah, you could view it as there are are three uh, layers. You've got the content producers, the artists, uh, the middlemen, the uh, traditional uh, record companies, uh, and then the distributors, uh, the platforms like uh, Apple's iTunes and Spotify, and uh, how the you know th- there are questions about what the total revenue stream will be, and then how does that get split between these three layers? Uh, and uh, that's something where nobody knows the answer to it. Uh, you know, a few years ago uh, with Apple's iTunes, uh, there, there was uh, some issues there about how they were splitting the revenue that they charged to people who paid the 99 cents for a download, uh, how much of that Apple kept. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. David, you mentioned, obviously, that, that there are more eyes now on Spotify. I guess we're going to find out a lot more when that first quarterly report comes in, correct? You know, running a public company is not trivial. Uh, it, you know, there, there is a, a lot of attention paid to, uh, to the short term and, and tracking progress over the short term. And so there will be a maturing of the management team, I think, as, as they realize, you know, how much, uh, how much attention is paid. With that being said, what I don't have a good feel for 
is what the ownership structure of Spotify looks like. I mean, it's public knowledge, and, and you, can, you can get it off of uh, SEC filings. But many of these tech companies uh, are old school in the sense that they're not releasing 90% of their shares to the open marketplace, where this right. truly is a free-for-all where investors can buy into Spotify. You're going to have uh, insiders hold a tremendous amount of the company. I know their two founders probably collectively own 20%. Uh, so it's not as large as, let's say, Zuckerberg's holdings, where he has you know, the majority of shares. Now, what does that mean? It means they might be under more pressure, um, because they're going to have more external influence, uh, more board directors, perhaps. But at the same time, just remember, many of these companies, uh, you, you really don't have the freedom that you have with many of the older, more established companies where an activist investor can step in and actually take the company over uh, by you know, gaining board seats. And so, Yes, there'll be more attention. Yes, there'll be vol- volatility. Yes, there'll be negative press around the company. And so the, the leadership team is going to have a whole new dimension that they're going to have to worry about. But again, the question is really how much true influence does the external investor have uh, if they don't have control over the company, if there's limited amount of shares they can get their hands on. Uh, at the end of the day, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, over at Facebook, yes, he has to pay attention to the press because, as we can see, negative press can have an effect on the share price, can yep. have an effect on, on users. But it's not clear people have much they can do about it from an investor standpoint, because at the end of the day, he still controls the majority of shares. He has a vote, and only his vote uh, really matters. So, so this is something that's going to be a little bit different from these tech companies than what we've seen with traditional companies, in that, yes, they have to pay attention to media, but it's not clear uh, that, uh, that the investor has the power to, let's say, make a management change or force some kind of change uh, through a direct vote. They would have to do it indirectly through bad press uh, and uh, the kinds of things that we're seeing today with Facebook. And, and I guess, David, you, you put Amazon in that, in, that, uh, in that realm as well right now, because you're talking about a company that obviously has been uh, uh, hurt with their stock price the last uh, two weeks uh, because of the comments of, of President Trump. Yet again, Jeff Bezos is, is the man that basically runs everything where Amazon is concerned. Yeah, but there have to be people inside of Amazon right now who are, you know, whispering into Jeff's ear saying, is this worth it? You know, we're on this trajectory of having this unbelievable company and we've picked a fight. And it's not clear why we've picked that fight, uh, you know, with the sitting president of the United States. So I think Amazon is is a unique, uh, is is in a unique situation. But you are right in in that, uh, in that these, these, these tech companies, uh, many of them are not the traditional publicly traded company where you buy a share and you have an equal vote. Many of these tech companies, if you really go through their listings, you'll see that, they're, that they have uh, significant ownership stakes by the founders. And that, what that means is there's you know, limited things as an investor that you can do uh, to, uh, uh, to make changes within the company if the company's not doing what you want them to do. Jay, uh, the, the word correction has been used in the last few days surrounding the tech sector, and, and obviously the ones that are that are publicly traded uh are these tech stocks in a line for a possible correction right now or are we maybe already into it a little bit uh before answering that i just want to uh make a little technical point Uh, at facebook uh, zuckerberg does not own a majority of shares but he does have a majority of voting rights um, but uh, g- going to the uh, is- issue of correction, uh, I-, I think you know we've already had a, a bit of a correction, uh, and uh, you know nobody knows how it's going to all play out. 
uh, in particular, uh, one reason for the uh, the correction, and you know, Amazon uh, has been hit especially hard, uh, as well as Facebook, is concerns about uh, will there be government regulation, where uh, some of these companies uh, do have enormous power due to the network effects, uh, where traditional competition. Uh, uh, it doesn't uh, have as much of a threat as in, say, the restaurant industry, where uh, McDonald's and Burger King, you know, have limited market power uh, because of potential competition. Uh, you know, investors have become more concerned about uh, possible government regulation uh, with Alphabet uh, Europe yeah. uh, and antitrust authorities there have been uh, more aggressive than uh, U.S. antitrust authorities at uh, questioning some of the things that go on. And uh, nobody knows how that's all going to play out. Is a call, David, is a call for more regulation maybe uh, the, the, the thing to really watch out for right now? Well, I mean, it's hard to say what the actual share is uh, because you have to define what the market is. But let's say yeah. that Google controls, you know, 90 percent of searches out there. That means they have a tremendous amount of authority in the marketplace. We haven't talked about, you know, regulation and, and, and breakups in, what, 25, 30 years since the old AT&T days where it was actually quite a big thing where we, the government was talking about it quite a bit. And so it's been quiet for a long time. But, yeah, at some point there might be a turn in administration. I think that's what it would take, uh, where they look at these tech players. They look at the profitability that they're generating. They look at the small players struggling to compete. And then maybe one day they, they do an AT&T-style breakup. I think that the probability of this embedded into the market price is actually, is actually quite, quite low. I think the bigger issue that we're facing is less around regulation than what is the true market size for these companies. Because at some point, every company hits a growth wall. At some point, the growth taps out. And, and people are still trying to figure that out. I mean, is Google and Facebook and Amazon, are these guys 10% of their potential market? Or are they at 90% of their potential market? And so that's why you are looking quite closely at, at the results each and every quarter to try and tease out where they are in this growth process. So although regulation and privacy issues are very important, I don't think those are as large um, as a concern as, again, just what the total market size is. Yeah. Because when you hit that growth wall, all of a sudden those multiples really start coming down, and all of a sudden you start managing for cash flow. The valuation is completely different than when you sort of are growing at an unlimited pace and people think the market could be 10, 20, 50 times the size you currently are. And we've seen that with some of the older companies uh, that have been on the market for, for quite a long time where their stock prices languished. So th there are companies out there that are in the tech sector that hit that wall, um, and the question just is when will these other companies hit that wall as well? Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, breakups of some of the big companies are very likely. I agree with David on that. But uh, where there, there is more of a concern of regulation is, for instance, with Google search results, where there are some biases. Uh, you know, recently uh, they've, uh, in, instead of directing their search to uh, other sites, uh, they answer some of the questions directly, you know, give their own uh, 
uh, airplane arrival times and things like that, and uh, are therefore disadvantaging uh, competitors uh, that are providing travel agency advice, uh, for instance. Uh, And and that's where uh, I think the potential for regulation that might affect the profit stream is a more realistic uh, possibility. Great having you uh, both on the show today. Thank you very much, David. Thank you, Jay. All the best to you both. Best of luck. Pleasure. Take care. Thank you. David Wessels, adjunct professor of finance here at the Wharton School. Jay Ritter, eminent scholar in finance at the University of Florida and a former assistant professor of finance here at the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.